Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfin. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nachvetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestin Echo. Vientolum again omgrev or corn rachtum. Yatakshatorin Graven or Corson, Elistuhalagus Gimina Fracht, Gorokligs or Dukashin Echor. Only Venown, Thordorakshin. Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Over the last week, tech stocks have crashed. The likes of Apple, Google, Microsoft, Tesla, and Amazon lost between 120 billion and 200 billion each in their market value. Some others, like Zoom and Netflix, are even worse, down between two thirds and three quarters in value. What the hell is going on? Are we all suddenly reassessing what we think the value of these tech companies is? Or is something else causing these valuations to slide? But more importantly, could it affect your pension? Or if you work for a tech firm, your pay? And what on earth is happening to sections of the crypto market? I'm Adrian Weckler, tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent, and I'm joined today by John Isle, deputy business editor of the Irish Independent. John, what's happening here? Well, what you're seeing, Adrian, is the tech shares are taking the brunt of a big market rotation that's going on right now. And really, it's been going on since the beginning of the year. What does that mean? What's a market rotation? A rotation is when investors, by and large, are moving from one type of asset class to another or getting out of risk assets altogether and holding on to cash. So what you're seeing right now in the background, right? We're all familiar with the inflation story, and we're also familiar with how inflation relates to interest rates. The next step of that is how interest rates relate to investments like shares or bonds, okay? So what what is happening is that in an effort to tame inflation, central banks like the Federal Reserve, Bank of England, and soon the European Central Bank are increasing their interest rates. They're making money more expensive. Okay, that has a few effects. Obviously, if you hold a mortgage, it's going to make your mortgage more expensive. Or if you're borrowing new money, it's not going to be as cheap as it was last year. But what it also does is it makes so-called risk-free investments, right? Like the most secure government bonds, um, German bonds or U.S. treasuries. It makes them more attractive because their yields are going up. You'll see this on Irish government bonds as well. The yields are going up on Irish bonds. It makes mm. it more expensive for our government to borrow. But if you're an investor in those bonds... Uh, and you've just bought them, you're, you're going to get a better return. So when risk-free assets have a better return, money tends to leave the riskier assets. And the riskier end of the stock market tends to be those big growth stocks on mm. the NASDAQ. Now, they've had a great run for a decade or more. They've been the top performers. And we do hear every year or so, oh, you know, investors are going to take their winnings. They're going to rotate out of these uh, these tech stocks. It's never happened, right? It's never happened because interest rates have been so low. And there's essentially a low risk way of getting exposure to speculative growth, let's call it. Okay. And I'd make a distinction here between really well-established 
tech companies like Apple, which makes products everybody loves, and Google, which basically dominates an entire market. And, you know, the racier kind of uh, companies that maybe came to market more recently. Hmm. Um, you know, but, but you, even happened- on those, John, it, I mean, Apple is down 15% in the last six to eight weeks, 25% in the last six months. Google is down $150 billion. And I mean, Apple is the bluest of blue chip tech stocks, surely. If, you, if you're going to, if you're, there's one company you're sure is going to be around in a year's time, it's going to be Apple, right? 100%. They make great products that lots of people buy. They have strong margins. They have a great pipeline of new stuff. So what the market is telling you right now isn't so much that Apple's a bad company or Google's not worth investing in. What it's doing is you're seeing a readjustment in the relative value of investments. They're saying, relative to the rest of the market, this isn't worth as much as it was before. It's possible it's a great time to buy some of these stocks and hold on to them for a long time. You might see your value out of that over over the long term. But right now, we're in this period of disruption where people aren't exactly sure where the interest rate hikes are going to end. How expensive is money going to get? And, And where you really see those effects is probably more down the venture capital end of things, right? As money gets more expensive, VC investors have to be a little bit smarter with how they deploy it. They can't just place bets everywhere. They have to be, you know, a bit smarter about where it goes, um, you know, which companies really have a chance of returning that money uh, by doing an IPO down the line or finding a bigger buyer. Now, you know, you mentioned things like people's salaries and pensions, and that's a really interesting aspect of this because people who have, you know, your basic pension investment, a little bit in stocks, a little bit in bonds is going to be exposed to some of these massive companies like Apple and Google. Now, the Standard & Poor's 500 index is also down quite a bit, but not as much as the tech index. And people have really poured their money into these tech companies. They've been such winners for so long. And as you know, in a lot of these companies, uh, people's compensation is linked to the share price. They get paid in shares. That was a great deal for a long time. It may look like less of a great deal now. And you might start to see some things changing in those companies in terms of how people get paid. Unless you join one of those companies in the next week or two, at which point, to test your earlier thesis, if those stocks are good value right now in a year's time, or two or three years' time when your shares vest, uh, you could be sitting very nicely. Yeah, precisely. And I think the places where that's going to be more of an issue are maybe those stocks, those companies that actually can't support their value on an earnings basis, right? So they're not they're not selling a lot of products yet to justify what their stock price has been. You know, they're sort of uh, those sort of hopeful stocks that you hope are going to pay off in a few years. They might find find it a little harder to live through this kind of a market. And then, of course, there are the sort of meme stocks. You know, that I think you and I talked about last year that a lot of the retail investors got interested in in the last year. These are stocks you know, where the fundamental value is nowhere close to justifying the share price. It's actually just a popularity contest for a lot of those, Um, you know, and that's going to make it, uh, you know, harder for those guys to kind of sustain things in the long term. To what extent does a fall in the value of a company's share price, as we're seeing now, represent the actual long term prospects of that company? I mean, is it just a reflection of what, uh, someone who buys and sells shares is gambling on in a few years time or is there yeah. something more fundamental well look essentially in in a in the efficient markets hypothesis like in a perfect world uh what you're seeing in a share price is a kind of 
you know, aggregate decision making of all the investors in the market. Some people think it's worth more, some people think it's worth less, but no market is perfectly efficient, right? So you see these dislocations from time to time. Where it has a real world effect is when that company maybe needs to raise more equity, right? Or needs to raise some debt financing, right? And, and when that happens, your share price matters. You see what's going on, for instance, with Elon Musk and Tesla at the moment, right? The value of his Tesla shares really matter to his ability to finance a deal to buy another company, okay? And then you do that on a maybe less extravagant scale, any company that maybe needs to raise a certain amount of equity is gonna be going back to their shareholders and saying, well, we wanna raise this much. As your price declines, you're gonna to need to issue more shares to raise the same amount of money. So like a high share price has certain benefits for a company that is looking to raise funding. As we saw, I think with AMC, which was one of those meme stocks, was able to raise a lot of capital because out of nowhere, a lot of people were willing to buy their stock for no good fundamental reason. Mm, yeah. Uh, but um, it actually gave them access that wouldn't have been there otherwise. Yeah, there's a character in the 1987 movie, Wall Street, where Hal Holbrook's character, who's the venerable old stock trader that they all laugh at, but he's a very honorable guy. He's supposed to be the moral pillar to Charlie Sheen's Bud Fox, mm. uh, impetuous character. His, his character's name is Lou Manheim. And he takes Bud Fox aside and he says, Bud, stick to the fundamentals. That's how IBM and Hilton were built. Good things sometimes take time. Now, that's to some extent what people like Warren Buffett uh, have done over the decades. When it comes to tech stocks, is that too simplistic or naive a strategy? Well, it's really interesting you brought up Buffett because only a week ago, you know, uh, Berkshire Hathaway had their annual general meeting and Buffett was taking a little bit of a victory lap because value stocks are making a comeback. Part of this rotation right now is that investors are leaving the growth market and looking for value. These kind of underpriced, boring companies that they make their widgets year in and year out and they shave a little bit of cost here and there or open a new market or whatever. Buffett loves buying those companies, right? And they're having a day in the sun right now. I think, again, it's like any other, any other sector, right? Like we're accustomed to tech being this kind of revolutionary sector that's extremely disruptive with companies coming up with totally brand new ideas of things to do. But just to take Apple again, right? It's a revolutionary company that in many ways has a lot of old economy aspects now, okay? Um, I saw you wrote a piece recently, Adrian, that they're retiring the iPod, the iconic, uh, the iconic product that they brought out 20 years ago, was it? Yeah, um, 21, yeah. They came up with a better product that incorporated all the features of the iPod and, you know, called it's the iPhone. Like, you know, it's the, the category killer product. The iPhone will never be as cool as the iPod. Look, we all know the iPhone <laughs> is the king of Apple products and it's the king of tech products really this century so far. In fact, it's the king of all products. There's no product that's been invented that has had the impact of the iPhone yet not as cool as the iPod. I remember, I was there, John. I was there when the first iPods landed in Ireland. I was one of the people who had one of the first ones. It was a white click wheel. It had a metallic silver back. It That's was a beautiful, beautiful piece of industrial design. It could fit a thousand songs in your pocket. Can you imagine it? A yeah, thousand yeah. songs. I was using a CD Walkman before that. I had to lug around a case of CDs. And, and one of them was always ended up somehow being Dire Straits' greatest hits. I don't know how. I don't know who put it in there. <laughs> anyway. Well, and it, it's hard. It's hard to recapture that lightning, isn't it? So the iPhone is a, is a great product. 
Um, but as you say, you know what? Can I? Can I? I'm sorry. I'm going to shamelessly diverge here for a second. Hard to recapture that grape date product. Okay, let's look at that. 2001 iPod. So 2007 uh, iPhone. Okay, fine. A couple of other products that that Apple doesn't really get credit for as being big disruptive uh, products. AirPods. Do you remember any wireless earbuds before AirPods? No, of course not. I have, if they spun off. I just bought my first AirPods, Adrian. Your first AirPods. So you're right on time because you always come about four years late to the, the party. Exactly. So you're, yeah, you're right I'm on the, time. I'm the middle-aged buyer. The, yeah. the <laughs> Apple Watch. Do you know for the last three years, the Apple Watch has been the best-selling watch, digital or any type of watch in the world? Yeah. If you buy a watch and you're under 35 or under 40, it's most likely to be an Apple Watch. Well, what's amazing is also to see the sort of range and diversity of people who, who buy the Apple Watch, right? I've seen chief executives of multi-billion euro companies wearing Apple Watches. Do you know the first person on TV? Do you know the first person on Irish TV who wore an, an Apple Watch? You're going to have to tell me. Jean-Claude Trichet. Okay, wow. So okay. they had just launched the Apple Watch. I was there at the launch. And a month, maybe six weeks later, they were barely out. And there was some big ECB meeting going on. And it was televised by... RTE one six o'clock news and there was Jean Claude Trichet with his big Apple Watch on. Okay, okay. So the idea is just people like me, John. It's not. It's not, not just you. That's right. So yeah. to get back to the point about you know. Yes, yeah, sorry. Let's get back to the point. The old industrial kind of company like Apple has a lot of those characteristics, right? It's still mm -hmm. innovative. It still has kind of uh, category leading tech products, but kind of less of the wow factor than they had when they were sort of a younger, more nimble company. Now they're like they're the, they're the big giant whale of the tech world, okay? Somewhere lurking out there on the NASDAQ is a company that's going to make a product that's going to surprise us all and upend some kind of an industry. We just don't know what that is yet. And the tough thing about growth stocks is figuring out as an investor which companies those are. Hmm. Just give me a basic reminder, John, why people invest in shares in the first place. Is it mainly for capital appreciation that will be worth more in a year's time? Or... Is it dividends that they hope to get an income from these shares, or is it some combination of both? I mean, it depends on the type of investor you are and where you are in your sort of investor timeline, right? So, yes, capital growth is kind of the basic um, is the is the basic killer app of shares. What you're doing essentially is participating in the growth of the economy. So the assumption is that shares you're buying, uh, their profits will more or less track the growth of, of the economy. You know, plus whatever. Uh, extra bit that the management and their products bring to the, the whole kind of thing. And then your total return is based on the capital appreciation, whatever income you derive from that, which is the dividends. Certain people like dividend stocks because they like the regular income, but that's very similar to bond investing, which is that you're going to get your semi-annual coupon from these guys. Johnson & Johnson is a great example of that. You know, a uh, massive consumer products company with like all kinds of things that you see on your grocery store shelves, or the shelf of your pharmacy. Um, those guys have been paying dividends, I think, consistently every year since 1947 or something like that. And you buy that for the, the reliable income that you're going to get from them. But the, the basic function of the stock market is to connect um, liquidity, you know, people's money, with mm -hmm. the need for investment capital. And the companies take your capital and they put it into developing new products, new markets, you know, paying their people, expanding their footprint all that kind of thing. And you get to participate in the rewards of that or on the downside when things don't go so bad, they don't mm. go so well. And some 
it, probably very few actually of those principles uh, apply to crypto. In the last uh, couple of weeks, we've seen arguably an even worse crash in crypto, um, depending on what type of crypto you hold or what type of NFT uh, you hold. And I'm not going to go through the minutiae of who has lost and who has lost more, but suffice to say, all the big ones are, are down pretty, pretty badly. And anybody who even dabbles in crypto, even through their Revolut app, will see that they're down, you know, 20, 30 percent over the last uh, month or two. But you wrote a piece recently just making a simple point about how crypto may not stand as an island against all mm -hmm. of the the rest of the uh, the aggregate financial uh, fiscal pressures that are going on. That's right. I mean, you know, crypto is originally, let's say, marketed, right? And I'm talking about Bitcoin here because it's the most well-known. It's probably mm -hmm. been around for the longest. Originally, the idea behind the Bitcoin cryptocurrency in general was two things. It, this could be a hedge against inflation. This will protect your money from you know, being ravaged by inflation, much like gold would have done uh, traditionally. And then the other thing it's supposed to do is be a kind of a store of value in volatile markets. It's not going to move the same way as stocks or bonds do, right? So it should theoretically be impervious to an interest rate shock like we're experiencing right now. But in fact, the opposite is happening. And there was research that was published by Morningstar, which is a bond rating agency, uh, a bond investment rating agency, which found actually that Bitcoin is almost perfectly correlated with equity markets on the downside, which means when stocks fall, Bitcoin is also going to fall. They've found the same uh, relationship with Ethereum. Okay. Now the correlation is less well attested on the way up, which actually isn't great. So when stocks recover, your Bitcoin might stay on the floor. That's a problem for anybody who bought Bitcoin or another crypto asset, um, you know, to protect themselves against the downdrafts of equity markets like we're experiencing right now. And, you know, there was kind of no laboratory test for this stuff. There are such novel sorts of investments, some would say speculative kind of gambling assets, um, that it's very hard. It was hard, I suppose, in the early years to draw any conclusions about how they would behave in certain market conditions. But we're sort of seeing a laboratory test right now of how crypto reacts when lots of other markets are on the floor as well. And we see now, you know, money, money is getting a bit more expensive. Um, people are getting a little bit nervous about things and they're beginning to sell their crypto assets. That drops the price. So you've seen Bitcoin, I think, is down below 30,000 now. It's almost at uh, the low uh, of, of, the, of the last 12 months, I think, which was hit in uh, June 2021. Mm -hmm. So it's not great if you bought sometime, you know, on the way up. To the peak in November, you're probably nursing some serious losses now. Um, my understanding is that something like between 55 and 60 percent of crypto owners are actually underwater on their investments at the moment. Wow, wow. Um, lastly, neither you nor I are really equipped to give out investment advice to anyone. However, it is interesting sometimes to speculate on what's going to happen. What do you think, historically speaking, looking at the behavior of markets, do you think that it is reasonable to expect share prices on these big stocks, blue chip stocks, ones that make things that people buy and trade in? Do you think it's reasonable to assume that they will return to previous levels? Or is is there a possible analogy to the housing market in Ireland in 2007 here, where it, it just got to a, a particular height and then took years to recover, despite a portion of the market believing that it would it would come back quicker? I'll repeat your caveat that, like, uh, you know, I'm not qualified to give investment advice, but 
you know, watching what's going on and what central bankers especially are signaling at the moment, we're kind of in for, uh, you know, a longish period of tightening, of monetary tightening, where central banks are getting out of bond markets. They're not buyers of bonds uh, to the same extent that they were, and they're going to stop doing that and then start shrinking their balance sheets. Meanwhile, they're raising interest rates. So like a big buyer is coming out of bond markets, and that's going to drop the price of bonds. The yields will go up. They'll become more attractive for certain investors, which means stocks will be less attractive while that process is going on. Okay, So bonds will become a little bit more popular again. So stocks will maybe trade sideways or a little bit down while the interest rate rises are still going up. At some point, either the expectation of sort of consistent interest rate rises will become embedded in the market mentality, markets will then turn around. That happened after the dot-com crash, right? Hmm. You had a um, you had very quick interest rate cuts. And then as the economy recovered, you sort of had a very um, steady sequence of interest rate increases then through the 2000s. What we had at that time, which kept markets going is a huge credit bubble. We actually don't have that anymore. I think markets are based like maybe a little bit more in fundamentals and, and not crazy credit because hopefully we've all learned our lesson from that. But it's going to be choppy for a while. You know, nobody knows exactly how long inflation is going to stick around. I mean, Irish inflation came in today. The numbers were just published this morning at 7%. We haven't seen that since November 2000, right? Mm. Like this is very new for a lot of people. There's a whole generation of investors who've never traded through inflationary times who've never been in this kind of a this kind of an economy where the price of things are going up but the economy isn't really skyrocketing right so it's going to take a lot of skill probably a, a lot of ability to see value in in the stocks that are available to buy you know a bit more of that kind of warren buffett approach to things as opposed to just you know i'm going to buy the broad market and sure it's going to go up 10 percent this year i don't even have to think about it mm. Yeah. Listen, John, it's an interesting and fascinating analyst. Thank you very much, John Isle, Deputy Business Editor of the Irish Independent. And that's all time we have this week. So for me, Adrian Weckler, the Tech Editor of the Irish Sunday Independent, thanks again for listening. And we'll be back at the same time next week. Bye-bye. 